Welcome to the Crack Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I am Pastor Chad. So the Nicodemus text. For God so loved the world. So question for you. When you hear, for God so loved the world, how do you interpret that? In terms of, like... How am I defining love or how am I defining world? No, neither. Okay. So, um... <laughs> but I'm going to need more clarity, clearly. <laughs> so, uh, how, do you, how, do you, how do you interpret the so? For God... So, loved the world. Oh. So, I interpret it as really, like, I love you so much. That's how most people interpret it. Although, like, yeah, it doesn't have to be that way. And there's also, again, my my disdain for the Bible. Disdain's a really strong word. Um, I'm in a mood right now. Um, (laughs) Understandably um, so. my, my, My... one of my challenges in Scripture, I mean, that's way better than disdain, okay, so let's just go, go with that, is that, there, is that there isn't, struggles, thank you, is that there isn't inflection, because it could be like, so, well, you know what I mean, like, not really, but you say so. So it's not even inflection that I'm going to get at, but go, go ahead. Go ahead, go for it. Uh, there's, there's another way to translate so. Okay. And we're, so we're talking Greek. We're talking Greek. That's why I'm not talking. (laughs) In this way. Ah. As opposed to... So God loved the world in this way. Yeah, as opposed to how much God loved the world, which is true. God loved the world a lot. But it's also the manner through which God loved the world. So, <laughs> is there... I love that word. So. So, the first thing that jumped out, we know that translations in Scripture are fallible. Right? Oh, yeah. They're always right. up to... Uh, They're human interpretation. Yes, 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 yes. I don't want to get the emails or the text messages. Pastor Chad said that the Bible wasn't from God. Not... What you're saying. Not what I'm saying. I'm saying, so let's just, let's just, let's assume. There's, a, there's an interpretation process that goes into a translation. Right. So let's you say. Make choices. Right. So let's say that the Greek is dead set, bang, 100% accurate. Like 100%, there are no errors in the Greek. Let's, let's that's the way, there are no errors in the Greek. Well, we ain't reading the Greek Bible. Nope. And depending what translation you pick up, they're not all the same. Today, we were doing our tech study for next week, and Cheryl was reading from, I think Cheryl uses the NIV a lot. Yeah, um, we use the NRSV. I have an NRSV. So she's reading the text. I'm like, oh, crap, this doesn't match up because the words aren't identical. Right. Because, again, it's, choices. Trans- it's translated. You make choices in translation. So has anyone made the choice... And I don't know this, and I, God, if you do, I'll probably just want to throw up. Um, has anyone, has, is there an interpretation of Scripture, is there a translation of, of, of the Bible that uses in this way? No. No one, no one has gone there. Okay. 
They, they all use just the word Hold so. on, time out. I have to barf because she answered that very definitive. No, no one says that. No, no, no one does. Um, See, I asked the question because I don't think it's true. <laughs> but I don't actually know because... No, everybody whatever. uses just the word so. Right. Which is appropriate. Um, the question is, how do we understand the word so? Right. God so loved the world. And now we tend to put a quantitative amount, you know, our, our understanding of the word so is quantitative, whereas probably the understanding is a more quali uh, qualitative, as in the in this way. So in this way, God loved the world. He gave his only son. Now, because we, we, we love to talk about, since we're on the topic of translation, yep. um, one of the big you know, footnotes in the Bible, and this does get translated either way and usually has an asterisk beside it that you have to look at the bottom and say, or is the whole born from above versus born again? Now, do you want to hear some um, really nerdy facts on that? Doesn't matter. You're going to give them anyway. <laughs> I am. <laughs> so, yes. Yes, I do. Nerd me so out. So, someone nerdier than me decided for their PhD. Hold on. I'm still trying to digest the first part of that. <laughs> dedicated their PhD to reading through all sorts of Greek literature for a 500-year time frame to find out how often the phrase, the, the born again, born from above, gets used. 95% of the time, it meant, whenever it was used in Greek, it meant born from above. Only 5% of the time did it mean born again. The fact that some, you don't know what to do with that. <laughs> no, I, the fact that someone read 500 years worth of Greek literature makes me want to vomit. Um, for precisely and, just that purpose. But and makes not, me, not just read it, but right. for only that purpose. Like, what is wrong with them? <laughs> I told you it was somebody worse than me. <laughs> like, like, how deranged do you have to be to dedicate your life to that? That's that's your uh, your your doctorate. <laughs> that's that's I, your dissertation. So it's, so as as a spouse of a doctor, um, I know that there is a ton of it is it is a really laborious <laughs> uh, process. process. Yes. Um, I don't know that, and I I don't want to diminish the work Christina did for her for her doctorate. But she wasn't reading 500 years of, <laughs> of Greek literature um, or the equivalent of 500 years of Greek. That's, that's insane. Isn't that insane? Yeah. But anyway, so um, the, the, the likelihood... It's so insane I forget the point. Yeah. <laughs> the likelihood is that it really is supposed to mean born from above as opposed to born, born again, which actually, if you understand... So how Nicodemus understood it was when Jesus said it, he understood it to mean born again. And Jesus had to extrapolate so that 
he understood, no, I mean it as born from above. So I, so my, my mind goes to um, our brothers and sisters of faith who, you know, kind of hang on the board again piece. Right. And I don't, and I, I don't say that as to diminish. No, no. The, um, the, the, I'm a born again Christian. Um, I mean, I, I, I struggle with the different views of baptism. Lutheran theology is very much from an, a from above theology. Correct. So our sacraments are not on us. They are God doing the acting. So acting from above. Which makes it really interesting that, you know, for, you know, our, our brothers and sisters in the, the boarding, I don't know if maybe movement isn't the right term. Um, but Typically it's more, more evangelical. Yeah, the evangelical born again um, persuasion. <laughs> Let's go with that. Um, for them, baptism in particular is us making the choice to be baptized. Right. Which would be less from above than it would be from the bottom, I guess. Yeah. It's more, it's the, act, just, it's more I mean, the act of... I mean, I mean, I think they would say that the act of baptism itself right. is from above. They would, uh, theologically, they would agree with that. But for us, the reason that we're comfortable baptizing infants is that, you know, it's, you're born from above. God is, God is putting that on you and there is not a requirement of you because it's God doing the acting. So. And, and there's definitely an element in this um, passage of, you know, with obviously baptism, baptismal imagery language, the born of water and spirit. But honestly, I think more of what actually Jesus was getting at with the born of water and spirit had less to do with baptismal theology, believe it or not, and more with the, the flesh versus the spirit kind of thing. Um, because as any, well, okay, you have children. How was it that you knew and your wife knew it was time for her to deliver? What, what was that moment that you went, oh, yep, here it comes? Uh, for anime, it was water breaking. There you go. Yep. So the birth process involves water. Yep. So part of the, the, the statement here that, People think what Jesus is getting at is, no, you do have to be born, like actually born, <laughs> yep. through water, water being the, the source of life yep. um, in general. I mean, e even Jesus calls himself living waters. Um, but, you know, it's, and if we look at, you know, just everything in the world and even beyond the world from the standpoint of, when we go looking at other planets for signs of life, what's the one thing we look for? Water. Yep. Life cannot exist, at least life as we know it, cannot exist without water. So we, that is that element, that thing of, of water is life-giving yep. in terms of at least the kind of life we comprehend and understand and the flesh um, and so Jesus is kind of doing this, this, yes, we need to be, you're, you're born. So in Jesus's day, uh, Platonic thought, as in Plato, was very, very, and philosophy was, was very relevant. And in Platonic terms, 
you had kind of a separation between the flesh and the spirit where flesh was bad, spirit was good. Yep. And so you had a lot of this desire to sort of shed the body to become purely spiritual. It was like a carnal thing, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Whereas in the New Testament in particular, the, the role of the body is interconnected with the spirit. You don't separate them. It's not that the body itself, life itself, is somehow bad that you're trying to transcend to um, this other state of being, so to speak, that no longer has use for the material world. So there's this, this melding of the material and the spiritual right. throughout um, all of, of the New Testament, especially like uh, Johannin texts um, where some of the Gnostics were trying to kind of shed the whole body part, and it was Jesus was pure spirit, um, a, a spirit being completely and holy. Yep. And... You know, it's like, no, if we, we, we deny that Jesus came in the flesh, yep. you know, we, 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 then we don't get it. And so I think that's, again, part of especially given it's John and that melding together of there's, there's, there's flesh and there's spirit and these two things go together and it isn't that the body, the material world is bad. May need to be redeemed, but it's not. You know, God right. made the physical world for a reason, and it's not because the physical world is bad. Right. But there needs to be more than just the physical world. So it's interesting. It's interesting to me. So for me, I have trouble separating, like, the spiritual from the emotional, which always for me manifests physically, <laughs> um, usually in tears. So there you go. Um, <laughs> right. Right. So it's it's interesting. You know, Body, mind, and spirit. Brittany and I, in particular, have been talking, you know, sort of desiring this worship experience that's different than what we offer. Brittany being our youth director. Our youth, our youth director, but more importantly, our, our music praise team leader. Um, desiring, craving, I don't know what word you want to use, either one of those fits. Um, a worship experience that, that is more intimate in the sense that you're more comfortable expressing emotions. Like, I, you know, I, I love, I love, I'm going to get in trouble for this too, but whatever. Um, I love our worship space. I think our worship space is beautiful. We have beautiful stained glass windows. I, I, we have a beautiful worship space. Um, but for me, it's sterile. Like it, it doesn't, the space doesn't, for me, enhance my emotions for worship. Now, I will, I will add, and I think part of it for me is light. For me, it's light. And, you know, so now I'm going, okay, lightness, dark, light and darkness, <laughs> yada, yada, yada. But, but A little for, bit of that going on, too. But our, our worship space is very bright. Um, I mean, we're in Florida. We have lots of windows in our worship space. Right. So our worship space is very bright. Yeah, which and always makes Good Friday a real interesting uh, right. thing to, to pull off. But you know what service is amazing? Christmas Eve candlelight service. Yes. Particularly the, the midnight service. Because, and I think one of the reasons that that service moves me the way it does is because it's dark. It's kind of dimly lit. And it just feels intimate. 
Like it yeah. just feels like like an intimate space where you can you can worship and just be. And I don't I don't I don't ex- and that doesn't that is not to diminish our our Saturday night or our two Sunday worship services. That does, I, I do not mean to diminish those at all. But for me, there's something different when there's less lighting, mm-hmm. um, and you can kind of settle in and worship and not feel like the light is shining on you, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, I, I wish we had like a smaller kind of chapel area. Yeah. So we're creating one. You didn't know this because you were off yesterday and I was here with Zach by myself. And, uh-huh. You know, we were. So we are going to use the youth room as an intimate worship space and get some of those string lighting, like the outdoor patio string lights to hang. So we get a different lighting feel that's not just the sterile fluorescent bulbs. We have some new flooring in there. We have some sofas in there to try and create a little bit. And then we're going to kind of guinea pig with the kids because we have a lock-in coming up with our youth. <laughs> so like, hey, let's uh, use the kids as a guinea pig and we can try and... Exp-. So again, it's an effort to try and create that sort of Before you got here, space. I used to do um, a meditative kind of prayer yep. um, thing. And that was the space we used. We went up there. Because it was much more, and, and I had a little, had a little w- lit waterfall that you know I turned the mm-hmm. lights off, but I turned that on and put candles around it, and yep. we'd get on our mats. And, and that's what we're shooting for. Yeah. Again, not not a not a meditative prayer thing. So like something simple musically mm-hmm. um, that I will not be singing. Um, <laughs> something simple musically, very a very very stripped down experience. Um, you know, not communion, you know, not pass an offering plates, you know, not confession, you know, some prayer, some text, maybe some discussion, maybe just some thoughts to, you know, so we're going to kind of let this thing, you know, let it evolve and let the spirit move. But again, it's out of that need for that connection. And we jokingly said in staff meeting today, you know, I want a place for people to cry and worship and feel okay to cry and worship. And then we, you know, of course we joked around about that because um, that's how we deal with things. <laughs> um, but I, I, th- I think there's, that, there's, that, there's that, that connection between, you know, the physical and the emotional and the spiritual. And I just feel so often in our regular worship services, it's disconnected. And I think part of that is... Um, your stereotypical Lutheran, mm-hmm. your stereotypical Lutheran Frozen chosen. Is, is, is kind of stoic and not to say that the spirit doesn't work with them and not to say that they don't move, not to say that they're not spiritual people and not to say that they're not great, you know, wonderful people. But sometimes that, that upbringing where your expression in worship is not fostered, right? So sit down and be quiet. You know, don't do this. Don't, you know, those sorts of things. For some people, are limiting. Um, so that connection is, is kind of interesting. Interesting. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Without uh, reading 500 years worth of Greek literature. <laughs> yeah, I think you can probably. Um, you know how it would take me to read 500 years of Greek literature? I, 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 well, I'm guessing 
that there was some way, like a lot of it had been scanned in, and therefore there was a way to electronically search. I don't know. I'm hoping. I hope there's a Google for that. I'm hoping. <laughs> that was that was how and that worked. I mean, also there. So you only were reading. But there you also know, wouldn't be as much in. literature produced. Back in no, not quote, not a lot of people wrote back then. Plus, you had a right. lot of stuff get destroyed, right. and so, so probably surviving surviving. I wonder texts. how much literature there is. I'm not going to look. I, I was going to say, would you like to do a dissertation on that? No, because <laughs> I'm sure that's a dissertation. Christina, Christina has 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 said, I sh you should go back for your PhD. I'm like, no, no, I'm done with school. Nope, no more, no more school, no more debt. Not saying I I'm, I love the lifelong learning piece, but for me, no, no I've, I've I've toyed with the. Um, I, I I honestly thought I was going to go on for a PhD. I wound up not. And, I don't know why you did. And I think part. I, and honestly, I think part of it was that that whole. Just. You get to live out the nerdiness, nerdiest stuff. Yeah, I do. I, I I get to to like, still kind of do some of my own, without without quite the same pressures, of. Yeah. Making sure you know you know you have X. All, all, all your I's dotted, T's crossed on your research, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I'm nerdy enough that, that I kind of try to do that anyway. But anyway, <clears throat> the, the point being here is this, this melding together of, of flesh and spirit, of the, the, the body and the spirit, and that Jesus' point is um, just to live life isn't enough. There has to be that spiritual component to it. And mm, you know, I like that. Yeah. Is you know, it's not just about following rules and whatever because if you think about like I said you have to kind of go back and think about who he is saying this to and why he's saying it. That was kind of the the point of my sermon was why does Nicodemus need to hear this? Because Nicodemus makes it clear that they actually recognize Jesus is from God. Yep. And Jesus' first statement out of the gate, after Nicodemus makes this, I don't know if you'd call it a confession or whatever, of we recognize you're from God because no one can do the, you know, the, the signs and the things that, that um, you're doing outside the presence of God. And so my... My guess, and this has to be a guess because we don't know. But John my, didn't put that in parentheses. Yeah. Um, my guess is what Jesus was maybe struggling against a little bit was this tendency that we have, even in Christianity, to intellectualize everything. Hmm how it's, well, of course you're from God because A, B, C, and D. Right. So I can make some kind of conclusion and assent that, yes, you're from God because you're doing these things, and, and okay. So it's doubting, Thomas, stick your finger in my side. Yeah. I can, I can stick my finger in the side and, see the wound, and feel the wound, therefore it's true. Right. And I think Jesus' point is um, there's something else to the spiritual piece that actually moves you to do and be different. 
Because that's when he gets into this whole long diatribe um, about loving the world and the light and the darkness and all that kind of stuff. Um, which, from a standpoint of, you know, from, from a literary standpoint, you get it. He's tying everything back to that opening prologue and statement, and we're going back to all that, that information in terms yep. of, of, you know, the, the darkness did not overcome the light. And Jesus, um, you know, talking about this. But one of the things I found so intriguing is when Jesus says he did not come to the world, into the world, to condemn the world, but to save it. And then goes on to say, because basically the world is already condemned. It's, it's already been condemned from the stand, but not that God has condemned it. Because the, the perishing thing, like I, I mentioned in my um, sermon, is, is reflexive. So the condemnation is basically um, the world is perishing because of how it's living. And how, you know, and, and therefore it is, it is destructive. And there's only one way to combat self-destruction. Face-to-face. Transformation from love. That love is the only way to save the world. Which is not how we... I mean, I don't think this is breaking news. It's not breaking news, but it's not how we tend to... When we read this passage... No, that's what I mean. It's not breaking news that that's not how we do it. Yeah. Like, we being, like, the world... The world is not like, oh, man. We're like, oh, well, let's build bigger armies and bigger bombs and, yep. and we'll do this to love. And we come up with all these ways to, quote, you know, So this fix comes back world. to my point about how you understand for God so loved the world. It isn't necessary. I mean, yes, God loved it that much. But the in this way... The in this way is a sacrificial love. Right. So you could, you could look at it. So in this way, God loved the world. Um, he sent bombs and whatever. <laughs> but no, the way in which he loved the world was to, to send his son, his only son, in the sacrificial way to love and try to show a different way to live and be. Right. And I think that that, like I said, the, the, the whole crux for me of this entire passage is why does Nicodemus, a rabbi, a leader of the faith, need to hear this? What, what is wrong with Nicodemus's faith that Jesus feels the need to go into this whole the world has chosen darkness kind of thing? Because I'm fairly certain Nicodemus did not see himself as one living in darkness. Um, you know, he's not yeah. a pagan. Yeah. He's not a, you know, all the things you would associate with, quote, darkness um, in, in terms of, of the Jewish world. He, he clearly was not that. Yep. And so what, what is Jesus' point here and why is he... And why does John, 
as he's telling this story, make sure that we know Nicodemus is in the darkness because he's coming under the shroud of night, blah, 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 versus Samaritan woman coming in the day. So yep. what is, you know, what, what are those things? What is it? And like I said, I think it's that, that difference between being able to recognize something intellectually and being able to have it transform you. And I think that we have a lot of people who have intellectual assent that they acknowledge Jesus is Lord, but it doesn't transform their lives. Right. And, and so that's, I mean, for, for us, for you and me as faith leaders, the intellectual piece is all fine and well. Mm-hmm. Well, and as you know, I love that piece. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's transformation. Like, yeah. and, and I, so for me, and I have this, I've had this discussion with some parents, and, and less, less parents, I'd say, than it is with um, people who did confirmation differently. Mm-hmm. So their confirmation program was about memorizing stuff. And for me, that's just not, all that important. You should learn, you need to learn the stuff, you need to know stuff. But I want your faith to be transformed. I want it to transform the way you act and the way you behave. I want you to be able to the way take... You live. Yeah, yeah. I want you to take scripture or even, even not a piece of scripture. I don't care if you can interpret a piece of scripture. I want you to be able to take your... Um, your faith, you know, your belief in Jesus and put that out into the world. So when you are on the soccer field, the way that you compete, you compete hard, you play to win, but there's a way to do that and not be a jerk about it. Now, I will confess, when I played baseball, I was more often a jerk about it. I mean, I was also, when I was playing baseball, I was not doing the church thing. Like, we were, like I was literally not going to church. And for, so, for, so it wasn't a disconnect for me. It was a, there wasn't anything to be connected. Like, I went, to, I went to church growing up, but I didn't, my confirmation program was very much about memorizing things and it wasn't helpful because okay i memorize it good check check that box i want you know when you when you're at school and someone's being bullied i want our youth to go wait a minute one i'm not going to be the bully you know we work for that but also i'm going to intercede on behalf of because silence is complicit um I want my faith to lead me to those things. How I engage the world, I want people to do it with their faith. Right. And I, I mean, because that's how, that's, that's how we're transformed and that's how the world is transformed. Like, it, if all you do is the intellectual piece, and I'm not like throwing, it, throwing shade at, you know, at you, 
because I, I know that's not how, not how you think, but I just want to be clear. I'm not throwing shade at the intellectual side of it. Oh, no, the, the intellectual but, side is necessary. Right, but if, if all you have is the intellectual side and there's no connection, there's no, well, and there's no emotional connection, there's no um, behavioral connection, then there's no transformation, then... So, but I think that's exactly what Jesus is getting at when he yep. says both water and spirit. Yep. Because, again... Um, you got to have the intellectual piece. You got to have the, the the life piece, you know, so to speak. Um, but then you also have to. It's it, it's a that plus. Yes. So it's not that that is it's somehow. Yes it's not an either or. It, it's not a you know this in lieu of that. It's no. You've got you, you absolutely have to have you know be living and have a body and have a brain. You know, be yes. some kind of intellectual. Although I will say this. Um, sometimes I think our, our intellect can sometimes get in the way of our transformation. Because if you will look at sometimes some of the, the, like if you have Down syndrome or something, some of the, the, the faith of um, people who would, we would probably say aren't going to have an IQ as we measure it, you know, up here, their faith is that exactly what Jesus called it, a childlike faith, where it's just, it's, it's so solid. And so, well, of course, you know. But I think we put way too much on the intellectual, you know, being able to, to rationalize it. Right. Um, and, and recognizing there are things about, you know, we'll, we'll laugh at things in other faiths and be like, oh, well, that's ridiculous. How can anybody believe that? Not realizing that the only reason we don't think some of the stuff we believe is utterly ridiculous is just because we grew up with it as just a state, you know, part of our, part of our faith right. and part of our lives. So it's not weird to us. So we don't find it strange. Right. Um, but I think probably 2,000 years ago, there were some concepts here that we just take for granted that they were going, wait a minute, that's, what? <laughs> you know, that's, that's really weird. You know, concept of resurrection in and of itself was mythologically understood and known, but the physicality of it would have been a little odd to totally 100% embrace. Yep. Um, but, and, and I think that's probably where Nicodemus falls in, where um, it's that, you know, he's a, he's a good student of, of the law. He's a good teacher, I have no doubt, of of, you know, of, of God's will, et cetera, in terms of the, the Torah, Jesus being Torah incarnate. Um, and yet, I think Jesus recognized there was, a, there was a missing piece that was going on. Now, I also want to be very clear to say that what I am not saying is people of the Jewish faith are only intellectual and have no spiritual side to them because that oh, yeah. is absolutely not true. Oh, yeah. I know some fabulously faithful rabbis um, and Jewish people who are very spiritual, etc. Yeah, we're talking Nicodemus. 
Yeah. And this text. Yeah. Yeah. We're, and we're, and we're, interestingly, we're, so it's interesting. Nicodemus is one of those characters, one of, again, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, because um, I'm going to go partial nerdy. He, Nicodemus reappears. Oh yeah, in 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 in, in John's Gospel, three yep, other two two, two, yeah, other, two times, other times, three times total. I don't, off the top of my head, I can't think of another peripheral character who reappears. Mary Mar- and Martha, in not in John's Gospel, right? But in, right. Well, actually, they no, they reappear in John's Gospel too, because the Lazarus story is all part of yeah. Yeah. Um. So. Because mo- most most are one off. Yeah. Like, I mean, again, the disciples, bubble, you know, I call them part of the core. So, so the Samaritan woman, we never hear of her again. Yep. But Nicodemus reappears. Yep. Like the blind lepers, we, yeah, I mean, that's a one story and done. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there are a lot I of mean, characters that come and go. And one of the things that happens in John's Gospel that, unfor- unfortunately, if you're not careful, can be a bad thing. Um, because it's so symbolic... John likes to use a character like Nicodemus to be representative of large groups of people. Mm. And unfortunately, that then gets translated to, oh, well, that's because that's how all the, the Pharisees were. They were all living in, you know, kind of thing. And that's, that's kind of a dangerous road to go down. So we typically record this before we do our text study for next week. This, this week we did it in reverse. Right. But one of the things we talked about for the Samaritan woman, which is a text for next week, is that she's not named. Nope, no name. And therefore is able to represent a wider swath of people than if it was... It doesn't allow you to say, um, oh, well, that's just for Rebecca. Right. Or that's just for Susie or yeah. whatever. Because she's unnamed. Yeah. And it, and it opens it up, you know, very well, broadly. So Nicodemus is named male and Jewish. Right. Samaritan woman, female, not named, and not Jewish. So, I mean, you kind of have polar opposites. Yeah. In, in every possible way you could. Um including how they worship and, and things like that. Which, which makes me want, oh, never mind, I don't want to get into next week's text. Yeah, don't, we're not going to get into next week's text because we'll, we'll talk about that next week. But right. um, like I said, that can be a danger, uh, though, as well, of, of kind of trying to, John likes to ma- make some statements where he simply says things like, the Jews did this. Yeah. And that can lead to some anti-Semitism it's and leads to a lot of harmful stuff. And we need to be very, very careful about that because um, that's kind of where, where that road can lead. And that's one of the things I don't like about John's gospel. Yeah. Um, I, I like John's gospel for, for the symbolism, but you got to be careful with it. Because you can take that symbolism and then use it in a very, very harmful, horrible way that leads to millions of people being killed. So it's, you got to be careful with it. So one of the, one of the points you made, made this weekend in your sermon was you brought up the Moses and the snake and facing what, you know, sort of the facing what, what kills you type yep. of thing. 
and I, I, I really reflected a lot on, you know, the things that kill us that we're not willing to face. And I think partially because we don't view them as, we, we have a different definition of death. Right, so death is no longer breathing and existing, right? Right. But I think death is a much bigger, broader thing than just. Well, like 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 Moses said, choose choose life or choose death, and it wasn't that you were going to physically die by choosing death, but you were going to go down a road that was destructive. Correct. And I read an article. I read parts of an article today because I was in a crunch and got sidetracked. Um, time crunch and got sidetracked. But there was a, a professor that was giving a, uh, scheduled to give a, a talk, a lecture on the civil rights movement. And that lecture was canceled because of fear of critical race theory being discussed. You're, okay, you're, I mean, you're, I, you're wanting to wade in those waters. <laughs> well, no, like it's like yeah. I'm like I'm I'm absolutely speechless that we have reached a point where we want to discount and dismiss an entire period of our nation's history that involves... Us um, looking bad. That involves a struggle to give other human beings basic rights, and we don't want to have those discussions because it might, make, might hurt somebody's feelings. It might cause now, discomfort. That is insane. That is absolutely insane. And for me, when you were talking about you know, facing that which kills you, that was the one thing that just was like in my face. We're not willing to face... And I'm wading in the waters. Yep, um, I know. Um, we, we, we societally are not willing to face the sin of racism because it might hurt my feelings. Or make you feel bad about yourself. For a group of people who, whose feelings weren't hurt, they were literally killed because of the color of their skin. And, and we can't teach the civil rights movement because it might hurt my feelings. Not my feelings personally, but you know what, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that, that's, that's, that's choosing death over life. Yes. Right? I yes. mean... That, well, that is... That is that's the, the, the definition. The, the light versus the darkness kind of thing. Which way are we going to, to live? Are we going to try and pretend that doesn't exist and not talk about it, not teach it because it makes us uncomfortable, or are we going to shed a light on it, struggle with it, reckon with it, deal with it, and admit to what's going, because 
as I said in my sermon, until you do that, you do not have a future. Yeah. And that's what, um, to go back to um, the now late Desmond Tutu, yeah. when he was doing the truth and reconciliation, when we read that book of his on the book of forgiving and what was one of the steps? I don't know how he worded it. Um, but it was tell the truth. Yeah, and, and like it was, you know, tell sort the of truth fa- face it hard and, and said, look, people, people are not going to like it and, and they're going to be people that are, are upset by it and it's going to be very hard. Um, but the only way to deal with it and ever move forward is if you tell the truth about what happened. And if you can't tell the truth about what happened, you cannot move forward. And there's, there's no possible way to ever reach forgiveness, reconciliation, any of that, if you don't at first tell the truth. So I'm reading, I'm reading a book right now called Baptized in Tear Gas by L. Dowd, um, who is a... The light reading. Man, that book is rough. It's it's she's a she's a, a wonderful writer. She's an amazingly gifted writer, um, and she was present in Ferguson during all of the protests in Ferguson, um, and speaks of firsthand accounts. She was there of the ways in which narratives were twisted which gets back to this idea of truth. You know, in our uber-technological world, um, so a friend of hers, like literally a friend of hers was holding a sign, and the sign said, and I, I may not get the wording 100% correct, um, but my, her sign said, my, my kids, or this person's sign said, my kids should be able to leave the house without fear. That same photo was photoshopped to say, and went all over social media, um, my son should be able to rob a store without fear. The beauty of, and she's like, you know, I, 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 I use this as an illustration because I was there I remember physically reading the sign. It was my friend's sign. And then a member, this was her, a member of my congregation, she's a pastor, um, literally sent a, you know, posted on social media, I presume Facebook, this photoshopped image with some commentary. And she confronted them and said, you know, I'm, I need to call, I'm sorry, I need to call you out on this. Like literally... I was I was there. I saw the sign, and then that, that all not th- what it said. That all disintegrated. But so I mean, in this uber uber technological world, um, those we have the ability to do things that we didn't have the ability to do before, which right. makes it really scary. And um, so that that idea of searching for truth is hard. You yes. know, same thing. Same thing in in Baltimore. I had I had some some personal friends that were there in Baltimore when some of, the, some of the issues in Baltimore after, I believe that was Freddie Gray, um, after that situation happened. And the firsthand accounts were not the same as the accounts that you were being fed. 
that we were being fed. Um, and that, and that, is not, that is not just a news, a, a station bias. Oh, well, it's Fox News or it's MSNBC. or it's, It was across the board. Mm -hmm. Now, each of them put their own extra commentary on it, but the narrative that was out, out of those, those, in, those incidents, those things going on, those protests going on, the on-the-ground reports were not the same thing that were getting reported as what people on the ground were. The, narr the narrative was twisted. Um, but this idea that we can't, that we can't face, like, face our history, face our past, and, and, and so th that would be you know, sort of like Jesus saying, well, yeah, I know I'm supposed to go to the cross, but yeah, I'm going to skip that part. You can't skip, mm -hmm. the, you, you can't get to the resurrection without the crucifixion. Like, you can't, get, you can't get to the healing without dealing with the pain. Like, if you have a wound, if you ignore it, well, it's going to fester, get infected, and, I mean, literally lead to death. You have to, I mean, we have to be willing to just face these things and, and kind of take them head on. Yeah. And I, and I, and I say that as... So if we're talking about the privileged food chain, the only thing I'm missing is money. And I'm not poor. I'm not saying I'm poor, but I'm not like uber wealthy. I'm like, a, I'm a straight white dude. Right. So like when we're talking like, like the privileged food chain, and we could have a discussion, I guess, of whether or not privilege exists. But, you know, in terms of like the privileged food chain, like I'm kind of top of the chain. The only thing I'm missing is like a, a butt ton of money. Like, that's it. You know, you're white, oh. but you're a female, oh, nope, you're down or wrong. Yep. I, I mean, in that, in that food chain. And, and sometimes we have to be able to, able to kind of live in that and say, listen, I recognize that. And well, then use yeah. that to and move forward. I think maybe this, this plays a little bit too into when I said, you know, we kind of have to understand um, what we're talking about in terms of salvation. So often, I think... When we talk about salvation, the automatic Christian thought is salvation from hell. Yeah. Like being tormented and, and you know, whatever, for, for everlasting, whatever. Um, and I don't honestly think that's really what Jesus is getting at. And what do I say over and over and over again? Yeah. We are way more concerned with what happens after we die than what Jesus was. But, but even with, you know, it, it is salvation from death right. from that standpoint. Um, but it's also, I think, what we, we, we do negate is recognizing there is a salvation element in this life as much as the next life. Yes. So it isn't just salvation, yep. quote, from hell. Because right. let's face it, there are a lot of people who live in hell right now. Yep. Their, their earthly lives are hell. Yep. Um, and so it's kind of a salvation from <laughs> what's going on in their lives right now. And like I, I've said this many times before, and I've kind of, you know, was, I, I touched on it in my, in my sermon this week, uh, is that there's there you know, we we have we have ways in which we can live which we can be destructive or ways in which we can live that lead towards life and that that is life-giving promotes life um and 
you know, I guess the question becomes when you look around at, at, at your society, I don't care whether you live in the United States, whether you're living in Russia, whether you're living in Europe, Australia, um, South America, Africa, whatever, does your society promote life in all its forms? Um, and does it promote life for everybody? Yeah. And... You know, are we looking for ways in which to restore people to a life-giving way of life or not? Um, what, you know, what choices, what decisions do we make that lead toward, toward life and, and a life that, that is not um, oppressive, abusive, et cetera, et cetera? Yep. And now... Granted, what one person may see as oppressive and what another person sees as oppressive may be different. Um, but, you know, I think there are some basic common, you know, things that we can all agree, agree on that go on that are not good. Um, but we tolerate them because of X, Y, or Z. Right. And we just kind of, we, we, we develop sort of almost a defeatist attitude of, well, that's just the way it is and there's nothing I can do to change it. And it's the way the world is. Yeah. And what am I, what, how am I possibly going to change the world? Yeah. Right. And I believe it was Desmond Tutu that answered that question, you know, by asking the question, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Yeah. And it's, again, it's, it's those little actions and, and one little action, then does that go to the next and the next? Mm -hmm. and, because that's how transformation, transformation doesn't just, it, it starts with the first step. Yeah. And, and part of our problem, I think, in, in our, well, and it was a problem in Jesus' day too. I don't want to say this is a strictly a problem we're having just right now. It was clearly a problem Jesus was having in his day because um, Pilate asks Jesus a very interesting question in the Gospel of John. Um, after he asks him what kingdom, and Jesus says, you know, whatever. Um, Pilate says, what is truth? So it's funny you say that, because I was going to mention that earlier, and then I got, like, off on another tangent. Uh -huh. and, and the reason it stuck out, because when we do our Holy Week thing, and... Jim, our music director, is cackles wildly. Has just, played, ah, what is true? Has played pilot. He his the way that he handles that line is perfect. beautiful. Yeah, it's perfect. Beautiful. And and I when we were talking about the whole idea of truth, what is truth? And like, yeah, yeah. Um, and and how truth gets presented, and what you believe is true, and how do you know what the actual truth is? Right, because if because they. If they connected all the dots, they wouldn't, I mean, Jesus would have been celebrated by them all, but there wasn't their truth. Right. The so, truth was about keeping them in power. Yeah. So, so truth um, is very difficult many times to sift through and find. And the problem is everybody thinks they have it. Mm. Everybody thinks whatever it is they, they believe is the truth. Which, which I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with, with persons living in their convictions. Like, I'm okay with that. But you have to be, when presented with evidence otherwise, it has to be some pliability. Right. Right? Like, I, I, I think we both used this example before. 
Um, I was a, I, it, in my younger days, I was a huge proponent for the death penalty. A huge proponent for the death penalty. And then I did a research paper on it, and then like this whole faith thing kicked in. I'm like, wait a minute, how does the death penalty fit with my faith? Yeah. So I took that really strong conviction that, you know what, people need to pay. Like, you need to pay. And then presented with other, with other evidence and my faith, I went, oh, wait a minute. Hmm. Maybe there's a disconnect. Maybe there's a disconnect. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, but I, I just kind of wanted to put it, you know, where, where we are talking about we need to come into the light. We need to come into the light and tell the truth. The problem we face, and I think that Jesus faced. And I actually had somebody who came through... Um, at the 9.30 service and looked at me and said, yeah, I'm not so sure, though, that the people who are living in darkness know they're in darkness. That's true. That's and, true. And, and there becomes the, the crux of the problem as well, is because whatever you think your truth is, you don't know. You think your truth is light. Uh, and Well, and I wonder it, how much darkness and light right now in our current culture is is political darkness and political so if you're it's, on if it, you're it, the tribalism like i was talking right. about the tribalism yep. of of aligning yourself politically yep. so if you're on the right you're in the light and the left's in the dark if you're on the left then you're in the light and the right's in the dark and and uh, and, and, and i'm going to say both live in a certain amount of darkness oh <laughs> you're kinder than I am. <laughs> I'm, try I'm trying. I'm trying. I mean, I mean, I would, I would say both live in the darkness because that. Period. If if, yeah. if that's your line of thinking. Yeah. Like. Oh, okay. Yes, if that's your line of thinking, absolutely. Then you're 100% in the darkness. Lights out. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'm I'm giving, I guess, a little bit of of leeway for. There are nuggets in there of of things yes. on both sides that that that. They get right. Correct. I, I will agree with that. But if you think, if, but if you're of the belief that, you know, your, your side politically is in the light and the other's in the dark, you're, uh, no. You there's a lot, there's a lot to sift through, unfortunately. You, you might want to turn the light switch on. Yeah. There's a lot to sift through. There's a lot to disseminate and figure out. Where, where, where the truth actually lies. And it takes effort to do that. You know what else it takes? <laughs> I'm like waving, do tell. I'm, do like waving, tell. I'm like waving my hands around. Nobody can see me. I'm like waving my hands around. It takes dialogue, people. Like, like honest. It takes a conversation like Jesus and Nicodemus are having. Right. So, so there's a, there's, there's a, a member of, of our congregation, and we've had lots and lots of conversations and we, we, don't, we didn't vote for the same candidates. Um, we didn't vote for the same candidates. But we, we've always had some amazing conversations that we both went away and went, oh, you know, I get it. So, so the, 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 the most glaring one for me, um, 
So I think it was the last presidential, I don't know, um, was $15 minimum wage was on the ballot. I support a $15 minimum wage. I do. However, I also understand, one, because we've had this conversation, and also just the realities of, you know, looking at, you know, our, our budget as, as, as a church, as an institution, not just um, on the church side, but also on the preschool side. We have a preschool. And living into the reality of saying, oh, man, idealistically, I wish everybody made a minimum of 15. We have a few that don't. Most of, most of our employees do. We have some that don't. Idealistically, I think that is amazing. I also know, you know from a small business standpoint, that's hard. So if you are a Walmart a McDonald's, a huge, an Amazon, a huge corporation where your CEO is making billions of dollars, you can afford to pay your people a livable, a $15 minimum wage. Yeah. Like, which, which I don't even call a livable wage, but that's... No, but I mean, like, like, you, like you, can, you, can, you can put a standard on there and it ain't going to affect your pocketbook. Now, in a small business, if you're a mom and pop and you got five employees or three employees and, I mean, that may be, that may be really difficult because... You don't have, like, you're not taking home millions of dollars yourself. And I know a lot of small business owners, like, sometimes they don't take home a paycheck. Yeah. So for them, that's hard. So, so it's, but it, in order for us all to get to light, there has to be that dialogue like Jesus and Nicodemus had and a faithful, heartfelt engagement, engagement seeking understanding and seeking understanding in a spirit of love. Because it all goes looking, back to love. And, and looking for the truth. Yeah. And, and saying, okay, so somewhere in here is the truth. Because yep. as, as so many have always said, there's this side and there's this side and the truth is somewhere in between. Yep. Um, and that, that I think typically is, is how that goes. Well, while I could go on and on talking about John 3 because um, I wrote a 33-page uh, research paper on this lovely gem of a text. And I could just go on talking because... You're I you. could go on talking. You're you. Um, uh, we are at, I think, our time. So we will wrap up this podcast. And next week, we will talk about the Samaritan woman. We won't have anything to say about that text. Nope, not at all. I love that there. text. I actually had to do that text at a funeral one time. Hmm. So I'll oh, yeah. tell that story next week. Yeah, I remember week. that. <laughs> all right. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. <laughs>